It is a great job market right now if you are seeking a job, but that hasn't always been the case. And if you rewind a number of years ago, a bunch of my friends were coming out of college, and it wasn't really an easy job market to land a job. And so a few of them went and they worked for an insurance company that basically paid them nothing up front, but they were strictly on commission. They were supposed to go out and sell policies and investments. And so I was constantly getting hit up by people that I knew, hey, I want to go to lunch with you. But they weren't making any money at their jobs. So they weren't even buying me lunch. So there was really very little incentive in it for me to go to hear their sales pitch. But a couple of them I went with because we were friends. And during one of these lunches, he's just going over how remarkable this investment opportunity is for me and talking about all the benefits and laying it out there over and over and over again. And as he moved to the, I mean, he really paid attention during the seminar. You could tell. He really paid attention. He was, he was very thorough going through the information. But as he moved to the close, I just stopped him. And I said, before you go any further, answer this question for me. How much money do you have invested in this? Because if you show me, if you show me your statement, I will invest 10% of how much you've invested in this on your initial investment. And he just kind of looked at me, looked down at his numbers, he looked back at me and he said, I haven't invested anything in this. I said, great, I'm not going to either. You see, it's easy from a distance, it's easy from a distance to be an expert. It's easy from a distance. That's why every Sunday afternoon, we are all better NFL coaches than whoever's coaching our team. Because we can see it from a distance, and we can see how it ends. They say hindsight is 2020. When you, are, when you have the luxury of looking at things from a distance, it's always easier. That's why we're all incredible politicians in our minds. No matter what, we would be the best president ever, because we can make all the great decisions, because we have that luxury from a distance. But it's different when you find yourself in the midst of a situation. It's different when you have skin in the game. The stakes are raised all of a sudden. And that's why in life, I would encourage you, when it's time for you to make a decision, the first thing you need to do is engage with Scripture and evaluate everything in light of God's Word, first and foremost. So use Scripture as your foundation. Then building upon that foundation, use the life experiences that God has given you and the wisdom that you've obtained. And then the next step in decision-making is talk to an expert. Talk to somebody that you, whose opinion you really respect. And it's even better if they're engaged in the situation, if they're invested in the situation. It's always even better. Today we're going to talk about just that as we wrap up our look at 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to see Peter was in the midst of this situation. If you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once that's downloaded and installed on your device, there's a feature within the Bible app called Events. And once you're in the Events feature, either enable your locations, they promise not to track you or sell it to the NSA, or type in zip code 54201, and there Lakeside Community Church will pop up, and you can follow along with us that way. If you have a traditional Bible with you, we're going to be wrapping up our look at 1 Peter today. So we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5. That's a New Testament book of 1 Peter chapter 5, and over the course of the next few weeks, 
we're going to be looking at 2 Peter. But today we wrap up our look at 1 Peter, remembering what we've seen in the process. That Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, had gone through, and his ups and downs are well documented, one of the early leaders of the church, he was there, he got, the, he got the front row seat, and he has now seen persecution come, so that a lot of the early people that made a decision to follow Jesus have had to leave their families and their homes behind. They've now scattered to different places. They were guilty of the crime of following Jesus, and they were experiencing a lot of persecution and a lot of suffering, and that's been a theme that we've seen over and over again as we've looked at the first part of 1 Peter, and today we're going to wrap that up in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we read these words. So I, Peter, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Let me read that again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, I just want to stop here and camp out here for a little bit as we build a foundation of, of what we're talking about. Peter, says, I exhort the elders among you. I exhort the elders among you. So a group of followers of Jesus, have, they've had to leave their families. They've had to leave their homes behind. They've now scattered in different places. A result of them scattering in different places is them taking the message of Jesus with them to different places. In the Great Commission, Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations. The early followers of Jesus said, hey, let's have church. So they had church. The Holy Spirit comes. And they're like, hey, Jerusalem's a great place to be, so let's stay. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. So persecution comes about, and it forces them to leave Jerusalem. So as they leave Jerusalem, as suffering comes, they don't leave their faith behind, but they go and they live in new places. And as they go and they live in new places, they're still following God, so they establish new churches. They established new churches. And Peter says, hey, I'm an elder. I'm a leader of the church. And what I want is you establish your new churches. I want you to accomplish ministry. I want you to share with people the hope and the love of Jesus. I want people to recognize that every single person has a gift, a talent, and ability given to them by God. And they should leverage that gift, talent, and ability to make a difference. They should use that gift, talent, and ability to help other people in their spiritual journey, to share with people the love of Jesus, to help those who are suffering, to encourage those who, who are depressed, to come alongside people and carry them when they're weak. This is what the church should be. And we love ministry. We love it when the church operates as it should, because this is what the church does. It shares the hope of Jesus with a world that desperately needs it and encourages one another. It supports one another. It is phenomenal when it works as it should. But somewhere along the way, sometimes we get this idea that ministry just happens because all these people that love Jesus, they just come together and like magic, it just all occurs. And if that were the case, that'd be fantastic, but it's not. And we see that all the way back to early ministry. And we know from 1 Corinthians that God is a God of order, not of chaos. So God has established an order for his church because for ministry to operate on all cylinders and to fully function as it should, there has to be a machine behind the ministry. And what happens sometimes is, is we can have all the ministry in the world, but without a machine behind the ministry, you're, nev you're never able to fully fulfill the vision that God has given you. You're never able to, to reach all those that you could reach. 
because you don't have any structure. And you don't have anybody that's saying, hey, we should probably pay that bill if we want to continue to have air conditioning and lights for services. And we should probably pay the mortgage if we want to be able to have, have a place to meet. And the flip side can be true. The flip side can be true. The machine becomes bigger than ministry. And all of a sudden, all the focus becomes on, well, this is what we have. This is, this is the land we have. This is the building we have. This is the program that we offer. But we, we lose sight of the fact that the program is in place in order to reach people and help people. And it all becomes about the programming instead of the ministry behind the machine. And so they're, they're, the pendulum can swing in both directions. And whenever it swings too far on either side, that's unhealthy. So God has placed this order that there are to be elders that come in place in the church and they are to serve as the guardrails to make sure that the pendulum doesn't swing too far ministry where it's all about, hey, I just want to help everybody, and that's great. Don't get me wrong. That is a great heartbeat, and that is a great mindset. But if nobody's being practical and saying, well, in order to help people, that takes money and that takes finances, and so that means we can't spend X amount over here in order to accomplish this. And some people are like, oh, no, that's just, that's just dirty. We, we shouldn't have, have to worry about that. So the pendulum can swing too far in either direction, and that is where the elder are to come and they're to be the guardrails and they're to say that we want to have the most effective ministry that we possibly can we want to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus we want to impact as many lives as we possibly can but in order to do that we need to operate efficiently we need to make sure that we're operating well and this isn't something that's new in our culture and in our context we see this from the early church we see this from the early church. And so God has placed elders in place who, who fulfill the function of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, and they are in place to serve as the guardrails. Exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So Peter's like, I'm in this. I'm in this game with you. I'm doing this. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. It's not always going to be easy. You're going to face opposition. There will be people that do not like you. There will be people that reject you. There will be people that slander you. And all these things should not catch us by surprise because the Savior, whose, lives we model, whose life we model our lives after, experienced all those things. And so if the world hated Jesus, why would it feel any differently about us? So you're going to see suffering, and Peter says, I have seen firsthand suffering. I've suffered in my own life, and I have seen the greatest suffering firsthand that you could ever fathom, and that is the sacrifice of Jesus. But notice he doesn't leave off there. The sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says, remember this, when you suffer, and you will suffer, but when you suffer, it is not forever. And there is a glory that is coming that has not yet been fully revealed, Peter writes, but there is a glory that is coming, and I am convinced of this because of what happened to Jesus, because of what I have seen firsthand in the life and in the sacrifice of Jesus, the fact that he died on the cross and he rose victoriously from the grave, that when we suffer, we can look at Jesus because Jesus was the suffering servant, but we can also remember that suffering does not win in the end. And there is a greater glory 
glory that is yet to come, that is yet to be fully revealed. And so I just want to remind you, if you find yourself right now in a season of suffering, if you find yourself in a place where life is difficult and it is brutal and you just feel beaten up and you just feel like you can't turn anywhere and find any relief, relief is on its way and the best is yet to come. And this is the message that Peter gives people who've had to leave their entire lives behind because they follow Jesus. And he continues, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock. This means elevate the needs of the sheep. Elevate the needs of the sheep. Your job is to go out and your job, the job of the pastors, the job of the elders here at Lakeside is to go out and to serve you. It is not for our own dreams. It is not for our own ambitions. It's not for our own self-interest. Our goal and what we must do, what we have signed up to spend our lives doing is to serve you. It is our job, it is our job to go out and to make sure that the sheep are fed. It is our job to make sure that the sheep have a place to drink. It is our job to find a place that is secure for the sheep. It's our job to protect the sheep. That is our job. That is what we have signed up for. That we are to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. It is our responsibility and our privilege to devote our lives to the service of others. That is, what, that is what healthy shepherding looks like. And that is what we have been called to be. And what we will one day stand before God and give an account for how we did. It is our job to put the needs of others before our own and to serve them. Exercising oversight. You must manage. You must form the vision. You must do that. And, and before we even go there, I, I want to I just stop here for a minute. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Make no mistake, without apology, we believe that when people have an encounter with Jesus, we believe without apology, when people have an encounter with Jesus, it radically changes everything about their lives. We believe that. And we, without apology, want every person that we encounter to experience that. We want every single person that we could possibly reach to experience what it's like to have a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus, what it's like to experience the hope and the peace that comes about as a result of following Jesus. We want that without apology for every single person that we encounter. So we've, we've done like a half circle, we've, a radius, whatever. You guys know I cheated through geometry, so I don't know how that works. But we've done, about, we've done a, a half circle about 25 minutes around us, and we've said, this is who we want to reach. These are the people that we want to reach with the hope of Jesus without apology. We want more people to be part of Lakeside. We want more people to be part of Lakeside. Now, we've kind of thrown out people that live in the lake because, I mean, good luck, right? So, but it, and other than that, we've built the 25-minute uh, half, half circle around us and said, this is our core audience. This is who we want to reach with the hope of Jesus. And without apology, we want to reach more and more people with this hope. But never, but never as a result of neglecting people who already call Lakeside home. Without apology, we want to reach more people. But never, but never as a result of having to neglect those that God has already entrusted to us here. 
And so we've got to live in this balance. Because again, the pendulum can swing too far. And we've all seen it. We've all seen the church that is so focused on people that are outside the church that aren't there yet that that's all that they care about. And we've seen the other side. We've seen the church that doesn't care about people that aren't part of them yet. And we're not going to change anything because this is comfortable for us. Or if we were going to reach people, we might have to do this differently or that differently. We've all seen that. And again, the elders serve as the guardrails here. That without apology, we want to reach as many people as we possibly can with the life-changing hope of Jesus. And without apology, we want to love and serve and do our best to come alongside every single person that calls Lakeside home and let them know they are loved and they are valued by God. And we want to walk alongside of them and help them grow in their spiritual relationship, help them become more like Jesus. This is our vision. This is our mission. It's on the wall. The lakeside exists to help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those far from him. But sometimes one of those things is going to pull us more in the direction. And both of those things are good. They're what God has called us to be. That we are going to be people that without apology want to see more and more people a part of Lakeside because we believe lives radically change. Lives radically change when people follow Jesus and invest in serving him and invest in helping other people. And we believe that we have a God-given obligation and responsibility that when people say, hey, Lakeside's my home, that we come alongside you and we do everything we possibly can to help you in every step of your spiritual journey. That is our responsibility, and this is where we must operate, and this is where we must live. Exercising oversight, there has, there has to be vision. There has to be vision. There have to be parameters. Not under compulsion, but willingly. We want every person that calls Lakeside home to experience the joy of serving God with the talents, gifts, and abilities that he has given you. We want that for every single person. And the day you decide, ugh, I have to go do this, is the day we want you to quit. Now, we don't want you to quit serving God. Don't misunderstand me. But the day you are operating in a capacity here at Lakeside, and you wake up and you feel like, ugh, I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. Maybe it's because you think, well, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Or this is just a need, but I'm not really passionate about. No, we want you to serve in places and in opportunities that you're passionate about. We want you to experience the joy and the passion that comes about when you utilize the way that God has wired you to make a difference in one another's lives, to feel that joy and excitement that comes from serving. And so you have my permission. If you're currently serving in a capacity right now and it's not something that you look forward to, I want you to quit. In fact, I'm going to be mad at you if you don't. So consider this your opportunity. Send us the email. Say, I'm out. I quit. Now, don't leave the church and don't just take a vacation. Like, we're going to find something else for you to do. And it's not because we just want to work you to death. It's because what God's called us to do. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so we follow in the example of Jesus. That's what we do. But we don't want you to just keep doing something because you feel like you're trapped. And maybe it's because we just have you serving too often. Let us know and we can cut that back. Or maybe it's because you're not serving enough so you don't feel as invested and as engaged as you want to be. Let us know and we can give you more opportunities. But This is what the church looks like when it functions well. 
as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. We serve not for gain. We serve not for ourselves, but we serve for the benefit of others. And we're energized by seeing what happens with them in their spiritual journeys when we serve well. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. All right, I got to go. So uh, not, not just sitting there saying, do as I do, or not saying, do as I say, not as I do. That should never, that should never be true of spiritual leadership. That's called hypocrisy. We should always model what we're asking other people to do. It should always be prevalent in our lives, first and foremost, that we set the example, we set the tone, that our lives are constantly reflecting what 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 says about us. That is the call that we are called to live to. And so make sure that your spiritual leaders, when you look at their lives, aren't people that say, well, do as I say and not as I do, but are people that live an an exemplary life and whose life can serve as an example to you, that we are to lead by example. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, the chief shepherd. This is yet another reminder to us that we are managers. We are managers. We are not owners. I absolutely love, I absolutely love the responsibility and the opportunity that I've been given to lead Lakeside. I absolutely love it. But this is the reality of, of me being at Lakeside. There will come a time where I choose to go somewhere else or do something else with my life, or there will come a time where you choose for me to go somewhere else or do something else with my life. That's just the reality. And when that time happens, when that occurs, Lakeside better not fall apart. If Lakeside falls apart, that just means I've been a horrible leader. It's never been called to be built upon me because it's not mine. The pastors do not own Lakeside. The elders do not own Lakeside. We are managers. God's given us the opportunity to manage this franchise, but he owns it. It's his. As much as I love serving here, it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. We need to remember that this is not ours, but it's God's. And so what I've been called to do is I've been called to manage it for a season. I don't know how long this season is. I hope it's for a really long time because I love being here, but it's not ultimately mine. And there will come a day where I leave or you tell me to leave. And when that happens, Lakeside still exists and ministry still happens because it's never been about me and it can't be about me. It can't be about anybody on staff or any of the elders. This is God's and it is ultimately his. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says, hey, listen, submit yourself to the elders. Recognize, recognize the elders fulfill what 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 says about their lives, so they're not doing this for their selfish gain, but they're doing this to serve God. And submit yourself to that. Be teachable. Allow others to speak into your life. Recognize that you don't have it all figured out. And understand this is coming from a place of of a desire to see you fully function in the way that God has created you to be. That they want what's best for you. 
They want what's best for you. And you have to cover yourself in humility. And when we don't cover ourselves in humility, we think we have it all figured out. We think we're an expert. We think there's nothing anybody can tell us to make us better. And that's a lack of humility when we aren't able to be coached, when we aren't able to have other people speak into our lives. Now, as I always tell you, leverage who's speaking into your life. Don't just let anybody speak into your life. But again, he says the elders here, these, the elders have met the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. You've looked at their lives, and you've seen that their lives look like Jesus. Cover yourself in humility. And he goes on, he doubles down on this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. He may exalt you. We live in a society that constantly wants to let everybody know how incredible they are. They want to list all of their accomplishments. And social media has brought this about more so, but it isn't responsible for it. But everybody wants to create the narrative that they're an expert and they're amazing at everything. What Peter's saying here is, let me free you up from this. Don't worry about it. You live your life for an audience of one. You live your life for an audience of one. You live your life to please God. And you allow God to be the one that will weigh your life. You allow God to be the one that will exalt you. Stop trying to build your own empire. Stop trying to spend all your time and energy and effort on telling everybody how accomplished and how incredible you are. He says, free yourself from all of that. That's exhausting. Stop worrying about it. And instead, live your life to please God and allow him in his proper time to be the one who exalts you and sings your praises, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. All right, so if you already have your phone out using the Bible app, I need you to go out of the Bible app just for a minute and go into the notepad feature on your phone. If you don't have your phone out, get your phone out. Go ahead, get your phone out. If you have a flip phone, uh, just leave it wherever you have it and throw it away later today. Uh, but if, if, you, if you do have a flip phone, maybe grab the pen off the seat in front of you. And if you have a flip phone, you probably have like a, something in your purse you call a billfold. Uh, go ahead and bust that open and, and write a note there. But what I want you to list out, and I want you to list this out, is I want you to think through this past week. And I want you to list out every single thing that's, that's been a source of anxiety in your life. Write down the things that have kept you up at night. Write down the things that have made it so you don't want to eat. Write down the things that have just made you nervous. I want you, I want you to take a moment right here, and, and don't be looking at your neighbor. That's just shady, all right? But write out, write out your own things on your phone, on a piece of paper, and form a list. As you're writing your list, here's my guess. As there are probably a number of those things on that list that you can have nothing to do about. Like if you wrote down, I'm going skydiving tomorrow, and that's kept you up, well, there's an easy solution to this. Just don't go skydiving tomorrow. And then we can just delete that, all right? Draw a line through it, delete if you're, you're on your phone. But I'm willing to bet that most of the things 
on your list are circumstances and situations entirely outside of your control. Or relationships or people or illnesses or something along those lines, something you have no control over whatsoever. And I'm not talking about people that have that have a mental problem going on in your minds, our minds, like any part of our bodies, can become sick. And so if this is something that you have tried, if you've tried releasing all the things and you still have a crippling anxiety and you've really done your best to let go of these things and yet anxiousness and anxiety just keeps coming and plaguing you, then it's probably not just a spiritual problem at that point. And our minds, like any other part of our body, can get ill. So I would encourage you to go talk to a doctor. And I recognize those conversations can feel awkward at times, but that's all right. I'd, I'd encourage you, go see a doctor. But if it's not at that level, I'm going to bet that a lot of the things that you focus on and a lot of things that you worry about you have absolutely no control over. And it doesn't mean they're not important to us. They're very important. But we've just been given incredible freedom here. Because when we go through life and we're anxious about things we can't control, we're carrying a weight that we have nothing to do. Like We can do nothing about it. And yet we allow it to weigh us down. We allow it to cripple us. And it's outside of our control. I went fishing uh, last Saturday morning. Uh, we were moderately successful, not nearly as successful as we should have been for the hour at which we went out. Uh, but we were, we were on a, a guided trip, and one of the guides said, all right, we need you to have a good cast here. I'm like, all right. I had no idea what that meant. But what I thought it meant in my mind was that I would take and I would just cast the line as far as I possibly could. So that's what I did. What I want to invite you to do with that list that you just wrote is of the ones you can control, well, just control them. And of the ones you can't, I want you to throw those things as far away from the boat as you possibly can. And recognize there is a God who loves you, who is more powerful than you, who wants the best for you. And he says, hey, why don't you go ahead and let go of those things that you can't control anyway? And why don't you let me carry them? Cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. He's willing to take it. He's willing to take the weight because he loves you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Be clear-minded. Be clear-minded and recognize that there is a very real adversary there is a very real adversary who wants you to be destroyed. He wants your destruction. He does not want what's best for you. 
And his methods have really, and his message have never changed. All the way back in the beginning, we see his methods and we see his message. And his methods and his message are this. Did God really say? Are you sure about that? Did God really say that? Well, if God did say that, you know the reason that God said that is because he doesn't want you to experience the best for you. And if you would just step outside of God's plan and God's purpose for your life, and if you would just step over here, the consequences aren't going to be that bad. If you take the fruit and you eat of the fruit, surely you're not going to die. Just, just take a bite. And we hear the message. And even though the methods have never changed, we start to think, ah, but this is the path to more fulfillment. Ah, this is an easier way. This is going to make me feel good. This is going to make me feel alive. And we take the fruit. And we take a bite. And it seems great at first. And before you know it, we're on a path to death and destruction. The message has never changed. But the destination hasn't either. Peter says, be on guard. Because you have an adversary, and the adversary wants your destruction. He wants what is worse for you. Be firm in your faith so you can resist him. And remember when you suffer, you are not suffering alone. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He says this, no suffering is wasted. No suffering is wasted. In the end, God wins. None of your suffering is wasted. And I know that right now can be a season of immense suffering. It can be incredibly challenging. But what we're told here is no suffering is wasted. And then 1 Peter closes his book by writing this. But Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is true. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, why do, why do we read that? What's, what's the point? The value of community. That God has made it so none of us are designed to walk through life alone. And what Lakeside must be is a place where all those who come together, who have a like-minded faith in Jesus, come for the betterment of one another. That in seasons of suffering, we are there to walk alongside you. And when you are too tired to walk, we pick you up and we carry you. That we are there to serve one another that we are there to leverage what God has done in our lives, to share the hope of that, that none of us are called to walk through life alone. That we are so glad about the people that God has brought here to be part of Lakeside. And without apology, we want to see even more people experience the hope and the joy of a relationship with Jesus. That we will have effective ministry. We will serve as many people as we possibly can. We will reach as many people as we possibly can. And we will have a healthy machine behind it that exists so that more ministry can happen. The 
Because life is hard. And no one is called to walk through it alone. If you are part of Lakeside, we are glad that you are part of Lakeside and we love you. If you are new to Lakeside, our hope and our prayer is that when you walk on this place, you know first and foremost that you are loved by God and second, that you are loved and valued by us. And if you are new here, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. And on the last Sunday of this month, after the second service, we have something called Next Steps. It lasts for about an hour and a half. It includes lunch. And it's a great opportunity for you to get to tell us part of your story. You get to hear more about the lakeside story. If you're like, hey, I'm interested in serving, but I don't really know where, and I don't really know what my spiritual gifts are, we offer you a spiritual gift profile that you can take, totally free of charge. We talk about different opportunities for you to get plugged into the life of lakeside. We talk about the community here. I can't encourage you enough to sign up for this if you haven't already. There are signs available on the Welcome Centers that have a QR code. You can scan that with your phone and then sign up online, or you can find more information about it at lakeside-church.com. But what we have been called to be is a community. And for those of you who've been part of Lakeside for 20 years, we are so glad that you've been here for 20 years. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you've done. For those who've been serving for a really long time, thank you. If you're tired, then let us know. And we can find a new opportunity for you or we can cut down the frequency. If you're engaged and you're like, hey, I want to serve more, let us know and we'll find those opportunities for you. And if you're new, know that you are loved and you are valued first and foremost by God and secondly by us. And we would love it if your story would be part of our story. And together, we would serve one another and share the hope of Jesus to the world. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us enough that all those things that bother us, all those things that weigh on us, you're willing to accept. Thank you for being the God who even in the midst of suffering is good and who has called us to be part of a community so that no one suffers alone, so that no one walks through life by themselves, but together we function best. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. God, thank you for this place. Without apology, we want to reach more people for you. And so God, we ask that you would bless that effort. But God, we pray that we would be a healthy machine that enables us to offer more and more ministry. That we pray that we would never lose sight of those that you've already entrusted to be part of Lakeside in our quest to reach even more people with the hope of Jesus. God, we pray that this would be that place that operates well and serves you well. God, thank you for the people of Lakeside. Thank you for their generosity, which enables all of this to occur. And God, now as we have a chance to give back to you a portion of that which you've entrusted to us and worship you, I pray that you would bless our generosity. I pray that you would bless the finances of those that give. I pray, God, we would see even more opportunities to impact our world for you. Jesus, use us for your glory. We ask in your name.